Well, James, I really loved our conversation with Vlad today. I always enjoy my conversations with Vlad. Yeah, but today we got really into the into the weeds and yes. some really important stuff. Yeah, definitely. Understanding banking is is crucial. And, and I think from a broader perspective, understanding value-added services right. and how that works with verticalization. So we talk about all that. I, I continue that on in the uh, questions in the field section. And then, Patty, talk to us about the insiders today. Well, today I'm talking about the Fed's uh, proposed uh, haircut for debit interchange. Right. And James and I get into a pretty you know lively discussion about government <laughs> regulating of, of interchange, whether it's credit card or debit card or whether it's routing and networks. But, yeah. you know, I, I, as I say in my in my in my report, I really think people need to pay attention to this because this is something yeah. that can get snuck that they can sneak by if we're not paying attention. Yeah. And, and so uh, awesome. And then before we dive into this one, I want to say that uh, Nativia is a paid sponsor of mine. Uh, they actually are a sponsor of this podcast. So yes, uh, that's interesting. And then Vlad is also a consulting client. So this is one of those episodes and it's interesting people that have followed along. You find that most of the uh, interviews we do actually have no connection in that way. Right. But this is one of those where it's a, a sponsor and a consulting client. And I say that very proudly. Um, I don't have any reservation about it whatsoever. I'm very proud of that side of the business. And it's people like Nativia, like Vlad and, and companies like Nativia that I really do endorse and promote. And I think it's a great company. So with that being said, let's dive into the interview. Let's do it. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey, everybody. We are here today with Vlad Sadovsky, who is the CEO at Nativia. How are you doing today, Vlad? Great. Awesome. So doing great. Vlad is a uh, frequent guest on the podcast. Uh, we actually, you know, one of the sponsors of the podcast, of course, is Nativia Banking. And today we're talking about uh, banking on the future of uh, payment processing and this whole idea of banking services and all that. And so before we dive into that, Vlad, I was thinking about you've done so many of these episodes, but it's been a while since we've gotten your story. A lot of people may not have heard previous episodes. So give us a few minutes on your story because it's so interesting how you got into this industry and then kind of what led you to this focus on banking services. So um, I got into this industry um, um, in, in the 90s uh, by chance. Uh, and um, recently I was actually telling my story on uh, one of the um, other podcasts, how uh, to turn your $2,500 with five people into the country with no other money into a multi-million dollar business. Right. Um, so I, I have the to, American I, dream, my friend. It's Yep. So I, I have to admit that I'm living the American dream for sure. Yeah. And uh, um you know, this year it's 30 years I'm in the business. Wow. Uh, and, and um, it, it's definitely been part of my American dream. For, and it was never, it was never, it was never the part of the dream that you actually thought. I mean, never thought about the American yeah, dream absolutely. merchant services wasn't anywhere on the horizon, right? <laughs> no, 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 absolutely not. Right, not right. even credit card. That, that's what's so cool about horizon. it, Vlad, is that you, you know, when you come here and you just kind of fall into something and it work. I mean, We've talked to other people like this as well, James, right? Where they yeah, just for sure. came in, they fell into one part of this business and the rest is history. Yeah. So it's and, great and, to and, see and, and, and it doesn't allow you and it doesn't allow you to quit because recurring revenue income, when people talk about passive income, this yeah. is the greatest industry of all. Oh, you know, and oh, I, yeah. I, I had to come back here to this industry a number of times. And uh, you're, all, all these times is because a merchant would call me and they would say, I need paper or I need to right. exchange my terminal. And, and, and I'm like, I'm not doing this, but I'm, I would not say to the merchant because you would, you probably go right. to these places. These are local merchants and you, you just come in and help them, you know? Yep. And, right. and then you say, well, I, I should be coming back into this. Right. Right. Yeah. I love it. Right. So it, it, it has a way of drawing you back in 
Right. right. So many people. OB is a perfect example of that. You know, how many times? Oh, absolutely. O, OB absolutely. retired or. <laughs> right. I don't call, I never called it a retirement out of this business. I mean, I yeah. think you're going to on funeral, you're going to be carrying somebody else's merchant terminal. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's great. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, and then Vlad, what about the whole banking thing? When did that all start as far as like, when did you start thinking about, Hey, we got to also yeah, not just payment processing, but do banking. Talk about that a little bit. Three things. So three, one, one of the things that challenged me in life is when somebody puts, put, puts an obstacle in my way. And uh, the first obstacle that I, that I encountered was, I was a client of Chase for okay. 20 years uh -huh. and they shut down my account because I was a merchant service guy and they consider it a competition. Me, the oh. small little lad, considered the competition Jeez. to Chase out of all people. Of all, right? of all so, the big so, guys, so, right? So I, I, I thought about it and, and, and I said, you know what? I need to look into, see what I can do to really become a competitor. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, um, that's the motivational part of the story. But the practical part of the story, COVID changed everything for a lot of people. Yeah, sure. And uh, the digital banking industry was slowly growing from 2014 to 2020. Well, well, people still going to the branch and getting their services done. But in COVID, everybody were forced to use an app. Mm -hmm. And they quickly found out that, you know what, it's not that bad. You know, I can get my money moved. I can look at my transactions. Um, I don't really go to the bank unless I need like right. really big financial help and advisory services and stuff like that. But, but for my transactional banking, um, why why do I bother, you know, be in front of the rep and stay in the line and then I have to make an appointment? Um, I go on an app, I, I log in, I do what I do and, and I'm out. Right, right. You know, what's interesting is I... Um... You know, I'm, I'm a little bit older than you guys, so I remember having to stand in line to get your paycheck cashed on Fridays and all that stuff. Right, right. right. And so Christmas time, I always like I have a, I have, I have like three dozen nieces and nephews. And right. so the older ones, I Venmo money too. But the younger ones, I mean, you know, it's fun for them to open a card and have right. money. Right, just cash, in, right? right? Right, have that cash flow out. I can't tell you how many banks have turned me away when I said, hey, listen, can, you know, here's a few hundred dollars. Can I get a bunch of 20s and 50s? Right. We don't do that. You're a bank. Right. Yeah. Nobody wants to deal with it anymore with the cash. Nobody itself. wants to deal yeah. with money, you yeah. know? I mean. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. So, so go ahead. So, I'm sorry. Oh, you're fine. So, so Vlad, you know, we talked about the banking trend of, you know, COVID and how that impacted where people were starting to think about banking in more of a digital context, but let's talk about small business banking specifically. So when we think about small business owners, it seems to me that in the last five years, there's just been like this crazy change in terms of how businesses see banking. And of course, we're at the very beginning stages of this change, but what has driven this change over the last five years in your mind? What are the key trends you look at in, in terms of banking for small business? So number one key trend is the fact that, you know, quite frankly, the banks that are digital online have less overhead. They have less um, um, expenses that gear towards maintaining a branch. And therefore, they start paying more as we as our interest rates rise. They're the first ones that are paying more money. If you want to get, mm -hmm. you know, high interest yield saving account, only now Wells Fargo's of the world and Chase of the world catch up. And even then, they put, you know, numbers on the board that might not be obtainable 
by by many businesses to actually take advantage of the right. high yield environment we're all living in right now. Have and so digital bankers, digital, deposit, you know, exactly. Digital bankers right. are like that. You know, we're we're there. We'll pay you on everything you bring to us, and 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 your actions counted. And so it's that concept that definitely definitely puts a shift in the in the business mind, and they would want to part their money there. And then to, to top it off is that we're seeing a huge, huge shift in, in use of debit card mm-hmm. because not everybody is having massive, massive credit lines right. and uh, purchases are going up on debit card use quite a bit. And when you do debit card use, uh, digital banks are just more positioned to provide more services, more rewards, more cash back than the nothing conversation when you get to guys like Wells Fargo, Citibank, Chase, et cetera. Right, right, hmm. right. That's it's really cool. And I, I really enjoy this, Vlad, because I'm James knows this. You may not. I actually started out my career in banking, working for a bank regulatory agency. So I'd love So for, you for, for you, I'm 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 a full circle. Yeah. Right. I've come full I've I'm come full, full circle, circle from the beginning it. to the end, right? You right. Know? Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. So but but okay, so you just talked about the last five years. I wanna I'm you know, I want to look at the next five years, right? Where how do you see the experience, the uh you know, SMB's banking experience improving over the next five years? I mean, obviously it's gonna change. As you discussed, we already have these changes in motion. Where do you think uh, you know it's going to bring us? Say in you know by the end of this this decade. Right. So there's this. I think there's going to be very very small distinction between a bank account and a mm-hmm. wallet account, mm-hmm. because in essence, a, a digital bank is nothing short of a wallet. In right. Europe, it's a very common, very very uh, uh, used word. And people move money from wallet to wallet, and it's okay. Today we have a number of wallets, like we have a PayPal wallet. We, we have, a, wallet. you know, you a... you Venmo your kids. That's a wallet right there, right? Right. But now all of the all of the different companies and all of the different brands are going to become wallets. Mm-hmm. So every POS company is going to become a wallet because they hold yeah. enough financial uh-huh. information. Sure. And and it's it's definitely going to be the trend for those type of scenarios. So we look at how many ISVs we have in this country. Now this new shift on ISVs in this country, they're gonna be embedding banking over the next five years at a speed previously unseen in this this market. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so just like people are trying to engrave payments into into the ISV world, and now it's kind of happening and we're seeing those results, banking is gonna be next. And when I say banking, I really mean all kinds of different banking, from lending to invoice factoring to saving accounts to card usage. It's not just one particular product. Oh, I just you know hold my money in the checking account. No longer the case. It's yeah. all of the products with a way to store money. I mean, Shopify has a Shopify balance. What is Shopify balance? It's a wallet. Right. In essence, it's a wallet. Right. Why can I use my money at Chase? Because if I sold on Shopify today and I want to bring that back and I want to be able to uh, right away buy my inventory 
uh, or or uh, uh, pay for shipping expenses or things like that. Why do I need to bring it back to a, to to Chase or Wells Fargo? Bank, I right? can easily pay for my Shopify balance. Right. I have a card attached to it, okay. and there we go. We have right. a Shopify bank in a way, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. So, so those are going to be happening in masses in the next few yeah. years. Yeah, yeah and, and I love this slide because I, I couldn't agree with you more. One thing I, I think is interesting, though, is I feel like there's almost these, and you and I have talked about this at length, I think there's almost these two um, stages to this trend, though, right? I think the first stage is this idea of embedded finance in, you know, ISVs, where it's like, hey, Square has banking and Stripe and you have... QuickBooks and you know these big you know and Clover and you know you're seeing yeah, QuickBooks like, QuickBooks QuickBooks announced they have full they, they have full bank account now yeah exactly there's right. your there's there's your bank right there yep. so you're seeing that but what I'm curious about is this whole I think the next stage that I think is going to happen really fast which is going to be the vertical specific or maybe even sub vertical mm. specific of saying you know it's funny I was talking to you about this recently but it's like you know I can't wait but until my self storage property management software right. I can't wait until yeah, I want to roll out banking, but not, but it's like, well, why would we do that? Because I want to roll out lending so that when the self-storage property owners go to build their next property, there's a special bank we partner with that does lending to finance their next property that's really streamlined for that purpose. Like, I'm curious yeah. what your thoughts are on verticalization and how you see kind of embedded financing shifting gears to be like really verticalized over the next three to five years. What are your thoughts on that trend? So my thoughts on that trend is, is is massive, massive, massive adoption. Nothing more, nothing short right. of that. Right. Because the minute you know a lending company has control over 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 the funds that are coming in, almost like a a, a vault or or you know a, almost like a vault, I would say, and you can deduct money from that, you can lend money against that, which right. is what the banks do today, right? They right. The, the, right. when when you go out for a loan. What do they ask you for? Move your bank account to us. Why? Because they want to see the inflows of money, right? Right. We are sitting, we're in the best industry of all for the United States. We are in the payment processing industry where we direct the flow of money. Right. We can put in a thesis, in a Fiserv, in an Elevant, a bank account where the money is going to end up being. And yeah. so all we need to do is when, when that, those money reaches that bank account, provide them a good enough offer to continue to utilize that depository relationship, which is what the banks have done for years, right? And so the partnerships, degrees. right? So the part, the partnerships that can be formed when you have that flow of money coming in with alternative lenders, with other financial institutions, payroll companies, etc. Massive, massive opportunity. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So. All right. So this is so interesting. And, and you know, I have so many other questions about this, but I, I want to shift gears a little bit because I want to talk specifically now about Nativia banking. So in other words, you know, again, I think ISOs and, and even agents, I think to some extent are starting to understand this opportunity. Like, okay, right. banking right. is an opportunity to make money, you know, and to provide value to clients. So now it's like, well, how do we do that? So I want to talk about Nativia for a little bit. Let's start with ISO banking. So you brought this up, you know, Chase, got, you know, canceled your merchant account be or your, your bank account because, oh, well, you sell yeah. merchant services, right? So okay. ISOs have been dealing with issues like that for a long time with these pain points. Talk about what Nativia is, is offering to the ISOs and where you're seeing like use cases for them in terms of using like Nativia banking services as an ISO for their own banking needs. Right. So first and foremost, you know, when we first started this project, 
and when first I got on um, um, the interview with you, James, mm-hmm. I, I thought that the massive adoption I'm going to have is going to be in my merchant accounts. I'm a merchant service guy. We have thousands right. of merchants on the books, um, et cetera. And our first customers became um, ISOs and agents, mm-hmm. which was right. so interesting. And, and um, we started developing tools for them. Over the last year, we've developed a, a bunch of tools for them. One of those tools is, uh, instant deposits for the residuals. Mm-hmm. So we have, a, you know, you and I know we have a massive is- issue in this business, and that is how fast can you, do you get your deposit paid? Right. Right. The next issue in this business is how fast can you lend against that deposit? Mm-hmm. Because the acquisition cost is tremendous, and you have to fund that acquisition cost somehow, some way. Right. And so our three pillars of our current uh, offering for um, ISOs and agents is number one, uh, it's an Ativa bank account. We will look at your lending opportunities to lend you money against your residuals that are coming in. We understand the asset. Right. Nobody else understands the asset. Right. Uh, we can do this all day long, massive adoption. We've, we've, we've working on cases every day now. And uh, we have no problem giving money to any ISO where we could secure residual streams uh, that will deposit the money into our into our interior bank accounts. Right, right. We don't care whether that residual stream comes from Card Connect or North American Bank Card or Neve or us. It doesn't matter to us. We will lend money against all of these streams. So right. that's one. Two, if you have a mid-sized ISO and you don't need money. You need a payout structure. We, you can pay out to our to your ISOs instantly. Your ISOs open up accounts and agents open up accounts with Nativa bank accounts. You instantly can pay them. It's especially good for bonuses. Right. Bonuses have become the number one hit item list when we when we talk to an ISO about our Nativa banking offering. Right. People want to get paid fast. ISOs don't know how to do it outside of ACH networks. Right. This is a way to do it. Yeah. Right. Right. Thirdly, uh, payments for specific industry-related um, services. Case in point, I have an ISO today that pays for the valid terminal through Nativa Banking. Right. I have an ISO today that pays for Clovers through Nativa Banking. Mm-hmm. On Clovers, Clover comes out with discounts. With, with utilizing our card, we provide 90 days interest-free financing if you buy clovers in bulk take making making sure that you can take advantage of some of those clover offers right. as an example right. and so it's it is the understanding of the interworkings of the iso business that become uh, a, a fundamental difference between us and any other bank in the industry you, you know it kind of goes to what you were saying in the beginning too vlad you said you know you thought that this was going to be something that appealed to merchants but the fact is, is that a lot of those merchants, you know, have established bank accounts. Um, whereas, as you experienced with Chase, a lot of ISOs have difficulties keeping established bank accounts because of the perceived competition. I mean, it's not just Chase. I've heard similar stories about Wells and 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 other large acquirers. So, in in a way, this you were sort of like a the first out of the gate, you know, with with this with this possibility that you kind of, it sounds to me at least like you kind of made built it thinking, okay, this will be good for the merchants. And then 
oh wait, no, this is going to be even better for the ISOs and the agents. Yeah, and 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 the cool thing is that you know once the ISOs and agents start using the 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 the, the services, mm -hmm. they become familiar with it, mm -hmm. and they offer it to the merchants. So we right. we really right. don't have to sell that anymore. Right. We really basically getting into a point where, um, you're the user. You know, would you want to recommend it? And we're the right. only bank in the country that can monetize it for you. So your efforts don't go by the wayside of uh, thank you very much kind of conversation. Right. This is not right. the ISA way. You know, right. um, I, I recently was watching with 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 my uh, with my daughter Mandalorian, and they and they say, you know, this is the way. So this is not the ISA way. <laughs> if I would have to speak Mandalorian language. <laughs> right. Well, and, and I think the other thing that's important to point out is it's not even necessarily that, you know, the what you've developed on the banking side, if business owners were made aware of it, there oh, is sure. a high level of interest in those services. I think the larger challenge is it's like, is it easier to get the ISOs to go sell it to merchants mm -hmm. or to use it themselves initially? And it turns out, well, it's easier to get them to use it initially. But again, to your point, once they start using it and they realize what it is and how it works, now they're ready to go sell it to the merchants who also love what it is. It just, it, it, the challenge is that distribution model. And we, right. and we've all, we've talked about this many times. It's like, ISOs and agents, you know, historically, and again, I think this is the number one strategic weakness today of the kind of uh, ISO agent model is that ISOs and agents tend to only want to sell payment processing services. That's their right. focus. And that's unfortunate because now it's not about that anymore. I mean, it is to some extent, right? But it's now it's software, it's value-added services. I mean, that the data is out. I mean, that's that's what it's all about. And so I think that's the same challenge that you faced with the banking was that, the ISOs and agents were like, wait a minute, what is this? I'm going to go sell banking? Like, I'm not a banker. What are you talking about? And then it's like, well, use it and you can see what it is. And then I think they're they're starting to, to gain that. So that's, that's and, it. Hey, listen, when, when, I, when, I first, when I first told to my, to my father, we're going to be, I'm going to be a digital bank and I'm going to be a banker. You know, uh, uh, <laughs> he looked at me like, who are you going to be? <laughs> what are you smoking? <laughs> yeah. So, so I even changed my title on my LinkedIn page that I'm yes. not only a CEO of the team, I'm also chief ISO banker. And and I believe Excellent. I believe in that title wholeheartedly. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know if you saw it, Vlad, but I did, a, and I think I sent you a copy. I did a piece for the green sheet where I mentioned yes, you did. the TV and what you all are doing. Yes, um, I saw it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. So, okay, so one last question here. So. I want to, I want to, for this last one, Vlad, I want to open this up a little bit. We've talked so much about the banking services, but I think that what maybe gets lost in translation a little bit when I talk to ISOs, they'll, they'll say, well, yeah, I was thinking about working with the TV for banking. And then they'll be like, who do you recommend that I work with for the payment processing? And I'm like, well, I mean, did you talk to Nativi about that? You know, like, well, I'm just trying to reach them about banking. It's like, so talk a little bit about what Nativi has to offer the ISO and maybe let's bring this full circle to explain your vision for, you know, making this full suite of value-added services available to the ISO to be able to go to market and sell. Because I think a lot of people that maybe have heard you on here, all they know about is the banking. So talk a little bit more about the other side of your business and how you feel that these work together. So I I feel, you know, very simple um, in terms of being able to uh, create the ecosystem. Like when we started Nativia, one of my biggest goals was I didn't want to be an ISO in a traditional way. I wanted to challenge the FinTech with an ISO mentality. That's really what I wanted to accomplish. And this year, my goal is to show the ISOs what you can accomplish 
when you have a full ecosystem of products working together like an Apple devices. You know, you can have a Samsung phone and an iPad, but it just works better together when you have an iPhone, an iPad, and now Vision Pro glasses, because you will have a vision like never before. Of course, I actually own Oculus device, and I've had it for many years on VR, and I enjoy VR to a certain degree. But recently, my team worked, you know, received the first uh, Vision Pro glasses from Apple. Uh-huh. It's an uncomprehendable experience. I strongly advise people to look at it. And it just shows you that if one company creates an ecosystem of devices and services, it automatically works better together. And so what we're going to bring, we have thousands of accounts today on banking. James, thank you very much for endorsing us uh, all this year and supporting so we're very grateful. And this year, the goal of the company is going to be, we're going to show you guys what a processing business coupled with banking, coupled with personal cards that we're, and payroll cards that we're about to roll out in Nativia this year, along with our financial services, uh, Nativia Capital that's coming out, Nativia uh, uh, ISO loans that we already have a program out there together all will mean for a average ISO agent and how it will change the game without the POS and actually utilize the POS as a leverage to get it, but not necessarily a way for you to, oh, I saw the host, I saw Square, I need to walk out. Mm, right. We're going to change that for you this year. Right. We're going to change it for you when you come to a Clover device and it's not from you and it's from Bank of America or from Wells Fargo, from Citibank. We're going to create products and services for you this year that will, in conjunction, create such an effect and give you such a tools that you will never walk out from a merchant that is interested, first of all, in you, which is the essence of the agent business, right? coupled with the services that you're going to be proud of. Yeah. Cool. Good stuff. So I guess the uh, important question before we let you go, Vlad, is for those that listen to all of this and say... I need to learn more about Nativia. Maybe I want to work with you guys, whether it's in the banking or traditional ISO side, uh, or they they kind of have this same vision as you and share this idea of, of you know value-added services all coming together. Where would you send them to learn more about the company and to inquire? Well, it's uh, www.nativia.com. And then you can just go through the maze and go contact us. But most importantly, I'm on LinkedIn all the time. I live on it at this point. Uh, my my people live on the LinkedIn there's plenty of VPs of business development on LinkedIn. We get a lot of inquiries on LinkedIn. I try to answer every single one of them. Do not hesitate. Uh, send me a message. I am guaranteeing you that I'll get back to you. Love it. Awesome. Vlad, it's always such a pleasure having you on the podcast. I love your perspective and insights, as you know, and so I appreciate you taking time to share those with our audience today. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard. So, Patty, today I want to continue a little bit of this conversation that we were having with Vlad um, around value-added services. And I really want to dig into this in terms of this idea of the sub-verticals, right? And so mm-hmm. I've, I've talked so much about vertical-specific and, you know, verticalization. But I think um, one thing that's... When you talk about a sub-vertical, what do you mean? Like in, if it was like healthcare, it would be... Dental. Uh, Dental okay. or chiropractic then, okay, or gotcha. whatever. 
right? Yeah. So hair like as, or salons, it would be nail versus hair. Exactly. Yes. Gotcha. Uh, okay. Yeah. And so I, I think one of the things that's so interesting about this whole conversation, and you know, I've talked so much about vertical um, solutions, and it's been interesting as I've talked to um, agents and ISOs, I, I think we, whenever you see a big shift in an industry, okay, mm-hmm. one of the most important things is you don't want to try to keep up. You want to try to leap ahead. Mm-hmm. And this is a danger because I think as I talk to ISOs and agents right now, I feel like there are those ISOs and agents who are basically just seemingly content to be left behind completely, which is, well, I'm still yeah. going to focus mainly on selling standalone terminals, whether that's what the merchant needs or not. And I yeah. don't really want to get into point of sale. I don't want to get into integrated payments at all. That's like, it's like a lot of the old guys, don't you think? In a lot of respects, it's the people. That I mean, been of, for a of course, time. it's always going to skew in that direction. But I mean, I would say it's pretty well. Oh, represented. no, I met some younger people <laughs> the same way. But I'm talking, yeah, right. I mean, you know, people that have been in the been in it for a long world. time. And yeah, they know right. what they do. And they so and they do that, know how they do it. And yeah, right. Yada. Right. And so if you're in that camp, I don't really have much to, to do to, to help you. I mean that, you know, again, if you're looking to retire in five years, you're on a great path, right? If you're not, you're going to, it's your business is going to die. So you probably want to think about that. Right. So right. I don't have much to tell you there, but what I find is then the other people I talk to are like, oh, James, I'm all in on, on integrated payments. I sell Clover. I'm all in on integrated payments. I even have my own, I sell restaurant point of sale. And I'm like, that's awesome. Good job. Right. Like great. Uh-huh. That's a step in the right direction. Yeah. We're, we're, we're keeping, we're trying to keep up with the market, right. but here's the problem right. though. Right. Which you, Maybe what you a have more defined. Yeah. What you have to help. realize is that that's like your surface level, but mm-hmm. what you understand is what's happening below the surface that's bubbling up right. is that solutions, software payments, embedded finance, like Vlad was talking about, these things are all becoming much more sub vertical driven so mm-hmm. we're now talking more about it's like well hey I have a I have a great uh, building platform for home service providers or things it's like well hold on a minute but what do you have for electricians what are you right. offering how is your offer for electricians different than your offer for um, you know, garage for plumbers or even garage door companies right like those are different and and let me explain this is very important to understand this the reason that they're different is because you need to understand that in five or 10 years, there's going to be two types of software companies that serve businesses. And those mm-hmm. two types are going to be platforms right. and sub-vertical ISVs. Right. Okay. So right. as we think about that, let me explain that. Okay. Payment processing. Well, you have platforms, right? Companies that offer payments like uh, Nativia, right? Like many, many others. And then those companies are going, the winners are going to be the platform, that platform that provides payment processing to sub-vertical ISVs that are doing these sub-verticals. Why? Because each of these sub-verticals needs to do a custom version of payment processing that works for that sub-vertical. So in the case of restaurants, it would be the pizza parlor versus the fine dining Versus the fast food truck or the right, you know, the the coffee shops, right? Like, and and again, Mm -hmm. to to be really clear with our audience, because they're all different, very different needs. They do. They have totally different needs, totally Totally different needs. Um, But again, to be clear, it's like, it's not like this is a future trend. Those things already exist. If you go online and look up best pizza shop point of sale, you will certainly find some things like toast and others who have modules 
for for pizza shops, but there are really specific pizza shop point of sale solutions out there that are really, really good. And I think ultimately it's going to be very difficult, if not impossible, for these larger platforms like Toast and Square and, and Stripe they and others. They in there. Yeah, how are they, they? They can't continue, you know, Stripe, or I mean, that's a bad example. Square is not going to be able to make like every possible feature and integration that's needed there, especially as we start to layer on the value-added services. So let me give you another example of this. I'm going to give you an example of this that I think will help to illustrate for our, our audience understand what I mean by this. Let's talk about accounting for a second, okay? Okay. Most businesses in America today use QuickBooks for accounting. Correct. All right? I personally believe that in five years, that number will drop by at least 30%. I would and hope me, so, and I would hope to be one of them. But that's yeah, well, and let me let me explain why. And now I still think QuickBooks is going to do great, but QuickBooks okay. is going to become a platform, right? And they're going to have APIs, etc., that would integrate. So let me give you an example of this. Let's talk about again. I use this example all the time because I'm in it, which is self storage. So I have a self storage ISV that is very very sub vertical, right? It's like property management, and it's like underneath of even that, which even property management is probably a sub vertical. It's mm -hmm. like sub sub. It's like very narrow. Well, guess what? If I own a self-storage property and I buy my first self-storage property. How annoying is it that I have to set up QuickBooks? Because oh, I don't God. really know that much about the business. I have to go right. in and customize QuickBooks for my use case as a self-storage property. I would property. hire somebody to do it. But. Yes, right. Uh, well, you, that's what happens, right? Right. Well, what if when they went to sign up for my software, they could activate the accounting module and it already had a chart of accounts that was customized for a self-storage business with the balance sheet and the chart of oh, accounts and the reporting yeah. and everything right. is like, this is actually what you need. You don't have to customize it at all, right. really. Right. It's already sure. built for the self-storage industry. Well, that's just better. It's easier to use. It's fully integrated into the, the other software. Mm -hmm. The reporting is all what I want it to be. So my point right. is that accounting is a small slice. Now think payroll, insurance, right. Um, mm -hmm. lending, banking services, payroll, you know, payment processing, and and then think about even vertical specific integration. So for self-storage, it's like uh, the integration with the companies that have the gates that open and close right. the gate automatically. And every right. industry has these little idiosyncrasies and, and little uh, custom things. So what's going to happen is you have these sub-vertical ISVs, and then mm -hmm. you have platforms. So if you're building technology today, ask yourself, am I building a platform? Or am right. I building a sub-vertical ISV? And if you're building something else, you might want to rethink that strategy a little bit, yeah. right? And then from a sales perspective, you're like, well, what am I selling? Well, maybe you are going out and trying to sell ISVs on your platform. Great. Maybe you're going and selling merchants. Well, then think about sub-vertical ISV integrations. And so I've got a lot of things in the works right now. I actually hope to bring some things to market uh, this this year even to help agents to be able to sell some of these sub-verticals. I've been doing it for a long time and trying to bring companies out, but we're really trying to get really niche now and find these like sub-vertical markets that are underserved because yeah. I think that's such a huge opportunity for agents to be able to go out there and really target each vertical when they go out to sell. They need to have a solution for that vertical where over time, we're gonna see more integration and customization that's gonna make those accounts basically bulletproof. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. Okay, well, James, 
don't expect a speedy resolution to the Federal Reserve's proposal to slash the permissible interchange on debit card payments. Sure. I mean, I don't think I've ever heard the word speedy and federal. And the Federal Reserve in the same sentence. Federal. Yeah. It's just federal in general. <laughs> right. Right. But, you know, they said when they put this out that they wanted to have this new cap go into effect in 2024. It's not going to happen. Which, which means 2027 in federal in terms. Fed, in Fed right. language, right? Because <laughs> they've already ex extended the comment period. And now banking industries are lining up and they have research on their side. Um. According to a new white paper, the proposed cut will result in upwards of $2 billion in additional consumer costs. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the white paper is called How the Proposed Interchange Fee Caps Will Affect Consumer Costs. It was published by a guy named Nick Bork, who was uh, formerly director of consumer finance at the Pew Charitable Trust. I okay. interviewed him a few times when he was there. Sure. And he had support from the Consumer Bankers Association. I think they, you know, helped bankroll it. Um, it draws from prior research by the Fed and the Treasury Department economists um, on the Durbin Amendment, the original Durbin Amendment right. to the right. Dodd-Frank Act. Um, and, you know, those debit caps were ushered in almost 13 years ago. Yeah. So you think by now we should have seen it all play out. Right? You would think. <clears throat> so um, the Fed... Uh, you know, it considers market changes, you know, that were ushered in by the original cap, this research does, and how those changes might play out today. Mm. Now, the Fed, um, the initial, as we all know, we've talked about this before, the initial cap set in 2011 was 21 cents plus uh, five, basis uh, points. five basis points plus a penny to cover fraud prevention detection. Right. That works out to a, just under a quarter for a $50 transaction. Now, remember, as we've talked about before, not all debit card issuers are subject to the rule. And I, ironically, I think it's only those with assets of $10 billion or more. Right. Well, and, and, uh, I, and I think a really important point here to make, and this is this one of the most shocking statistics for me in the last year. Yes. Yes. I know what you going to say. Was when I ran the numbers on our own. We do thousands of statements a month through ISOAN. Right. And when right. I ran the numbers and realized that the percentage of transactions that were regulated literally dropped by like 26% from like three or four years ago because yep. all yep. the all the banks were like, oh, so we have to have assets under 10 billion in order to charge whatever we want, an interchange for debit. Okay, so we'll start, start neobanks. We'll start smaller banks. We'll divest. Right. And they all, right. it's like, everybody doesn't, it's like they all became small. It's like, okay, you know. Yeah, and, and so it's like the, this new proposal the Fed has out, they're talking about, oh, it's no, it's not the new proposal. It's a credit card competition act. They're saying 100 billion. Well, even a hundred billion is like well, know, well again, a hundred billion to is, get below that. Yeah, I mean that's the. I mean again, a hundred billion. You're you're literally. I mean that one though is more about targeting the card brand networks. Well, think, that is but, it is, and so it, right. it is. It's more targeting the the credit card issuers as opposed to debit card. But I just wanted to kind of throw. That yeah, in the, right, 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 yeah. Just for the heck of it, you know. Yeah. Um. So anyway, the capping back in 2011 resulted in covered issuers losing an estimated 5.5 billion in uh, debit interchange. Economists have tried, but have been unsuccessful in pegging the corresponding savings enjoyed by merchants or any measurable serving savings that might have been uh, passed on to consumers. Hmm. Last fall, as I said, the, the Fed did propose adjusting the cap, and under the proposal, the allowable debit cap would fall to 14.4 cents plus four basis points and 1.3 cents to cover fraud. 
which works out to about 17.7 cents on a $50 debit card transaction, which is leave it, leave it to the government to come up with a, a maximum amount that banks can charge. That's not a whole penny. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I mean, seriously. like, huh? I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so anyway, this consumer bankers association, uh, accused the fed of doubling down on what has already been proven a bad policy, right? Which I think is correct. Uh, maybe a little strong, but you know, both consumers and card issuers are going to be hard hit by the planned rate cap, according to Bork. That's similar to the way the things happened back in 2011. You know, following the initial capping, uh, reductions in interchange income led banks to adopt higher uh, account balance, uh, um, minimum account balances, right. as well as account fees. Uh, they practically eliminated free accounts. Um, those, you know, uh, accounts where they... Um, the quote unquote underbanked, where they would help out the mm -hmm. underbank with debit card only accounts. Right. Those were Those practically yep. eviscerated. Right. Yep. Um, and of course, research is, has also shown that that few merchants passed along to consumers any savings that were realized if they even could put their fingers on how much they realized. Right. Exactly. Now, um, I have a quote here from Bork. He says, if, if the current proposal to reduce debit interchange fee cap is finalized, my research suggests that consumers will pay an extra $1.3 to $2 billion in annually in higher bank account fees. Hmm. Under this scenario, interchange fee revenue would drop by about $3 billion a year. That would be offset in part by $1.3 bill in higher monthly account maintenance fees. Hmm. And the rest would be made up for account fees like, you know, overdraft fees, NSF, right. things like right. that. On the merchant side, debit processing costs would drop on average, but savings are debatable, he said, since some merchants may shift to accepting other methods of payment, especially now that we have real-time payments. Right. Um, consumers at smaller exempt banks would also uh, expect to pay higher costs as their banks um, are not subject to the caps. Right, exactly. That's the other part of it, too. It's like, where's the data on... The percent I, I would love to actually see somebody run you the data. I think I think yes. they're all I think they're all assuming that it's like when the Durban Amendment came out, it regulated something like 85% of all the transactions. I would love for somebody to actually run the numbers and see what that number is today see nationwide. Because it's nowhere near 85%. It's maybe 65, if that. Because you gotta figure all the people that gave up banking for things like Venmo and and, and Zelle and the likes of that. Right. Plus there were all the there was a big rush to credit unions in, in, yep. in recent years because the big banks have been so draconian. Well, yeah, I mean it was just it was just you know it's such a such a stupid thing. Like you know, it reminds me of the story I read in a book recently where they were talking about um, you know when government regulation is good and when it can be harmful. And you know they were talking about back. I can't remember how many. It was a long time, hundreds of years ago. But um, in this one country where uh, and it was actually in the part of the uh, England, they they had this tax where. They were trying to figure out how do we tax people. Well, back then they didn't have income that was reportable, right? Right. right. So how do we tax people? Well, we want to tax them based based on how based on how rich they are. So they said, well, we're going to look at their house and see how big their house is. Well, it turns out, how do you measure what's a big house, right? Well, right. back and then, a if big were, house could be decrepit, also. Right. So they used to say, well, if you're really rich and you have a big house, a really nice house has a lot of windows. So they oh. determined they create create a tax and they tax people based on how many windows were in their house. Now, 
on this on the surface you're like okay that's highly correlated makes great sense here's the problem though <laughs> windows are expensive yes for the next 50 years houses in that country were all built with no windows because nobody wanted to pay taxes yep and what happened yeah. was there was literally they calculated something like 400,000 more people died of disease mm -hmm. because they were all in these houses with no ventilation because nobody wanted windows because they didn't want to pay a tax and so right. In, right. in this in the same way a much less extreme scenario is well, we're going to regulate these transactions based on this criteria. Well, right. all you did is you just created a new game with rules that are very transparent. And right. so everybody's going to want to win the game. So what they're going to do is they're going to move to a different model so that they're not regulated. It's like, hello. And the same thing is going to happen if the Credit Card Competition Act passes. And, Absolutely. you know, I've been I've been following this for a while, and it really concerns me because I don't think, I think given the gridlock that we see on Capitol Hill, I don't see any major legislation right, right. getting out of con in the current Congress. But right. what I do see is somebody like Senator Durbin taking that Credit Card T Competition Act and right. tucking it into something else, which he's right. already tried to tried do. Tried to do, yep. And and what really bothers me about that legislation, and and unlike you, I'm, 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 I'm you know, we all know I'm I'm more liberal than you are. So, of course, yes. <laughs> you know, yes. and and there is, you know, I I can see some some merit and some and some regulation, but wait a minute, <laughs> you know, right. I mean, but it's you got to have, and it's funny, I you know, I, it has I to I'm, be thought out, and that's one of the things yes. I think. I think the biggest problem about regulation is that it's always a compromise. Yes, yeah, and and if it's an educated compromise, good. That's if great, but very if it's rarely a compromise out of the ignorance, case. then we have a problem. Yeah. And in this case, it's a really big and, problem. And when you look at Senator Durbin, who has absolutely, I'm sorry, but the man obviously has no comprehension of how the system works. Right. Uh, that it would take years to create the technology that right. would successfully. And, and even then, and even then, in creating that technology, there is no evidence whatsoever to suggest that doing so would reduce the costs. No, no, because it's all like, that's going to happen is the same thing that happened with Durbin one is. Banks are gonna just shift that activity to smaller banks, right? You know, to small, smaller yeah. subsidiaries, exactly. And well, or in this case with the routing, it's like, well, Visa and Mastercard. It's like, well, we what we need is we need the government to enforce one more network. Right. Really? We already have Discover. We already have American Express. We already have Venmo. We already have all these P two P. Like the ATM networks. We right. Like what are we? ACH. It's like, but one more that the government mandates where we have to route them, that's right. going to be the solution right. to solve this market problem. So, but it does really yeah. fear, you know, it really does scare me. And I, and I would, you know, I would impress upon our, our listeners to really pay attention to this. It's that credit card competition that can yep. sneak by if people aren't paying attention. Yeah. Yep. Well, we know that you will keep us in the loop as always, Patty. And uh, so, of course, we just appreciate, always, uh, appreciate it. So, thanks sure for the thing. insights. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of Greensheet.com and CCSalesPro.com, and we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.